Thank you, man. Look at you. Good morning, everyone. At this time, the threes and fours can go out that back door. Uh, be led to our, our class for the little ones uh, this morning. If you are here, you're visiting, or you just happen to need a copy of God's Word, just go ahead and slip up your hand. Uh, one of our welcome team will uh, gladly bring you a copy today. We are coming out of the Gospel of Mark again in the 12th chapter, verses 28 through 34. Now, um, as you turn there, um, just have a couple of questions for you just to kind of help us kind of get oriented and settled into our text for this morning. Um, I trust and I hope that many of us here exercise the, the spiritual discipline of having a quiet time, and sometimes those quiet times bring us into texts that we have been in before, right? Um, some you're very familiar with. You've studied them. Um, you know their ins and outs. You know their creative imagery. You know what they say. You know what they don't say. But see, it's tempting when we use passages like the passage that we're coming out of today and do one of two things. We kind of zoom through it, thinking that we've kind of picked all the fruit from it already. Uh, there's really nothing more to learn. Or then there's the second temptation where you dive in so deep, you end up kind of coming up with these historical truths that literally no one in history has ever seen before you, right? So meaning that, that, that we have to handle these texts appropriately. Um, we've all likely studied this passage before, uh, maybe directly or, or maybe just even at times heard it quite a few times. Um, we're not going to be reinventing the wheel. We're not going to be finding some new and creative thing to, to post on Facebook or Instagram, but in rather obedience to these commands today are about as old as it gets. In fact, breaking them has been humanity's role throughout the entirety of the Bible. I pray today that we find, um, though, even those things that we do not do well, that we do, pr I pray that we do find the things that make us very distinct, very different from the rest of the world. We've been elected to do something very, very Christian within the world that we live in. The way that we live, the places we live, the jobs that we have, how we think, specifically how we love, at this moment might not, might not feel very different from the world around us, but make no mistake, we were designed and capable of very, very intentional things. Let's pray this morning as we open up into our text. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you, Lord, that it transforms us. I thank you that we as a church get to gather around it. We get to be transformed simultaneously by the same text. Father, I pray that this passage, words of old, Father, Father, would come to our eyes, Father, and that we would, we would see them so clearly. We would be renewed in our minds as we just sang together. Father, we love you dearly, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you, haven't, if you haven't turned there yet, or again, we're in Mark, the 12th chapter, beginning in verse 28. And it reads, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. 
and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribes said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Now, if you've been with us over the last few weeks, um, Jesus has been systematically placed on the dividing line of various religious and political issues that are kind of hot topics during this time in Judaism. The religious elite from different divisions within Judaism have been questioning Jesus on these various topics. Now, our political system today uses the same tactic, meaning that if, that if I can prove to voters, right, that a particular politician does not align with their beliefs, he or she, what, will lose their votes. My brothers over the last few weeks have helped us understand how um, Jesus has stood up against every effort thus far to discredit him. Many listening ears have heard Jesus' masterful answers to these challenging questions. But today, though, Mark simply, simply narrates a dialogue between Jesus and one such listener, a scribe. Scribes were more or less religious lawyers of the day. They knew the law. They knew how to interpret it. They liked knowing it. They liked understanding it, much like our lawyers today. Listen again to verse 28. He says, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? We know this scribe was listening, at least in part, if not for the whole of this interaction, but in this kind of rather peculiar turn amidst Jesus kind of being lobbed with these these polarizing questions somehow Mark notes the scribes opinion of Jesus's answers thus far and he says what Jesus he answered well Mark seems to again want us to as an audience to settle in to this mindset that this scribe is approaching Jesus because he seems to be intrigued by him, by what Jesus, what he's heard from Jesus. So I think it's possible for us to maybe discern that this scribe is not necessarily approaching Jesus out of, out of trickery or testing. You see, he could have asked Jesus any question in the world, but fitting as a scribe, one who studies the law, he asks him, which commandment is the most important of all? To which Jesus simply replies, Verse 29, Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Jesus quotes a very ancient passage. What all the people actually listening know as the Shema, which literally means hear. If you have your Bible, turn with me over to Deuteronomy chapter 6. I'll give you a second to get there. We're actually going to be turning to chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. And almost verbatim, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Shall, you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. You see, this passage was taught to children. Right? This is something very familiar to all that were listening. In fact, probably all of them could recite these very words. Maybe even many of us in this room can recite these very words. Friends, Jesus has just sifted through the weeds of what probably to these Jewish leaders are questions that they had no answer for. Exhaustive debates have swirled around these various topics that we've covered over the last few weeks, not unlike our debates today, maybe around abortion or same-sex marriage, but the timing of this scribe's question and its placement within this gospel seems to beg the spectators and us as an audience today to consider sometimes even the most complex of questions have very simple answers. The Shema was handed down by Moses to the people of Israel. Again, the Shema, or hear, made clear that all of the Mosaic laws, specifically the Ten Commandments, boiled down to the simple command to love God. Therefore, the commands the chosen people of God followed reflected their love for God and God's love for them. They were distinct, not because they could follow rules, but rather that, that they, could, they could, like no one else on the planet, love God. Our first truth for today is that God designed you to love Him. You see, loving God was God's plan for us from the very beginning of time. It was a command that both Adam and Eve enjoyed because while at the same time it was a command, it was also a gift. God created us not because he had to, he, but he created us because he wanted to. He is the one who made the first move of love. First John chapter 4, 19 says, we love why? Because he first loved us. We know, unfortunately, how the story played out. This vertical union, as we'll talk about today, this vertical union of our love for God and his love for us could only exist without interruption. We failed to be obedient to the commands of God, which means 
we fail to love Him. This perfect union was severed by us. In other words, God's fundamental way of life was broken by us. But it would seem, it would be this command that throughout all of history, um, that God would have a plan and incorporate this plan and how to forgive us for breaking it. Not only would he, would he do so, but he would, also, he would also devise a plan to actually help us keep it and then create a way for this union to be made right again. You see, our scribe today gives Jesus the opportunity to throw this card down on the table, basically saying, while you have been spending your time debating and being divided, you have forgotten the most fundamental of my designs, to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. I have to ask how often, I have to ask myself how often, that you've heard the very words of this passage and you feel like you got it. Love God. I'm there. I got it. No problem. Done. What's next? These words are not throwaway words, friends. They have purpose. They have meaning. They beg intentionality. Love God with all of your heart. You might pull in Merida, my little ones, Merida, Ray, or Rowan, in, as many of you parents do, and you, you, you pull them in tight and you say, I love you with all of my heart, but what do I mean? With all of my affection, th- that I know how to give them, I'm giving them. Do you love God emotionally? Do you love God affectionately? Do you talk to Him affectionately? Do you think of Him with a warm smile on your face. Does his word bring you joy? Like hearing a, a, the voice of a long-distance relative on the phone. Do you do things for him simply because you want to bring him delight? What if you planted a flower in your garden just for him? Read your Bible just to hear his voice prayed just because you wanted to talk to him. You see, it seems like already kind of within this swirling context of disputing that talking this way about God, this debate just kind of seems to melt away when you think of loving God this way. What about loving God with all of your soul? See, there's a piece of us that's linked to God. A very specific piece, an eternal piece that makes loving God possible at all. It's been transplanted into us. It's the love made possible by nothing else than the gospel. The love that brings you to the foot of the cross and it reminds you of how loved that you actually are. Loved not because in any way you deserve it. We've all heard the term soul food, right? Um but a a love that brings rest to your soul. No one can separate you from the love of God. His love doesn't let me get away, and I love Him. Do you love God with all of your mind? It's okay to love God intellectually. The more I study the Bible, the, the more 
I love finding just how perfect it is. I love when my head gets kind of swirled around. I'm sure you feel the same in, in, in its intricacies, the intricacies of the gospel, the design of things like the church. I love knowing God is smarter than I am. I love how he allows my mind to open up into deeper truths within Scripture and connect other parts of this grand story together. I love how much sense the gospel makes. Do you love God with all of your strength? Do you strive to love God more? Do you get up early in the morning when the bed seems better? Are you a disciplined disciple of Jesus? Do you stand firm when challenged? Does the gospel and its truth course through your veins, giving you the boldness to love God when no one else seems to? My beloved friends, this morning we get to do something very Christian. We get to love the God of the Bible for all to see. The people of Israel could love the God who loved them first. All hope was not lost. This vertical union, as we're talking about, was not severed. We can be reunited. All the world, come look. Come see what we can do because God has forgiven us and helps me love Him. But something, something really doesn't add up if we really look deep into this conversation. Jesus is God. The very people that were called to love Him the most seem to be disputing with Him. The God that the Shema was written about was right in front of their eyes. Their heart, their soul, their mind, their strength was failing. Admittedly, I don't plant flowers for God. There are days when I don't smile. Sometimes my Bible sits in the same place. At times, the gospel seems to bring me very little comfort. You see, I, like these men, appear to share the same God-loving failures. Even on the best day, I fail to love God. If God and His plan is for me to look distinct, some days I that doesn't seem like a really good plan to me. You see, this, as if all of this isn't enough and isn't heavy enough, um, the scribe asked the most important commandment. But what does Jesus do? He doesn't stop at just one. He just keeps going. Jesus merges another command with the most important command, pulling from Leviticus 19.18. He says in verse 31, the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. You see, the moment that God created Adam, this vertical union or, or covenant existed. Adam was to love God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, as Jesus has just reminded us, 
but if you remember back to the story of creation, God goes through this list. This was good. This was good. This was good. But there was one thing that he said was not. There was one thing that wasn't good, and Adam didn't have one that he could love that was like him. Adam didn't need an elephant, or he didn't need a lion, he didn't need a tree. He needed one that could love as he loved himself. Adam needed one that he could nourish like himself, both physically and spiritually. He needed one that he could love, that he could love like God loved him. And Adam, too, needed one that could love him as she loved herself. You see, God could have left Adam by himself, and, and God's love for him and his love for God could have been more than enough than Adam would ever have needed. But then God invented another way for Adam to be loved and also loved. Thus was birthed another form of love. You see, God's vertical love with man was birthed a horizontal love for others. Our second truth for today is that not only were we designed to love God, but God designed you to love others. So Jesus obviously remembers how he created this world to exist. He, his vertical command um, commands have to have horizontal implications. It's just the way that it works. Contextually, these disputes were, were symptoms of a people not only struggling with their love for God, but they also were struggling with their love for one another. Jesus again seizes the opportunity within this scribe's question to move the narrative to these, this very most fundamental argument. They need to spend more of their time, more of their energy, being distinct from others around them, expressing their love, God-given ability, excuse me, to love. The command is clear, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, when I think about loving myself, I don't think about arguing with myself. Um, maybe that happens from time to time. I don't, I don't get hostile with myself very often, Right? But pay close attention. There is a reason that the second most important command comes second. The very essence of the first command of God's fallen people, meaning loving God, the reason such a thing is possible is because we are recipients of grace. The reason is the gospel. While yes, one aspect is of our love for ourselves means that, that we keep ourselves alive physically. We nourish our bodies physically. We also need to nourish our, our spirits spiritually with the gospel of God. Our love for God swirls around that I have been given a love that I do not deserve, a love that I am also created to share. This love is our distinctive. You see, non-Christians can love. We know that. They can serve at soup kitchens. They can provide for those in need. Non-Christian parents can love their children very well. But there is a unique love 
to those lovingly united with God. Our unique love for God centers around the gospel as does our unique love for others. We can love in a very distinct Christian way. I love myself the most when I remind myself of God's love given that I don't deserve. A love made possible by a sacrifice, by a substitute. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 through 9 reads, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. You see, the loving your neighbor as yourself is a far bigger deal than taking a plate of cookies to the person that lives next door. That's important, right? That's a great segue. But your sights need to be set on loving them a very specific way. A gospel way. You see, the second greatest commandment is not a second rule to follow. God simply, out of our union with Him, gave us the ability to make little unions with others. And it is the gospel of Jesus Christ that unites us to Him. When I am reminded of how deeply God loves me, I want to take it to my neighbor. I want them to feel a love that is unending, that proves that God is real. He knows them. He never wants them to feel ashamed or guilty or afraid again. All of the people of the world need this. I, we, have been chosen to show them something impossible. That the God of the universe wants them and wants to enjoy him and wants them to enjoy his love forever you see clearly we see there then is this inseparability between the first command and the second command but briefly though sometimes we disconnect these and i, I believe a story within this very gospel illustrates this illustrates this so well turn back with me to mark chapter 10 you might remember the story of the rich young ruler Mark chapter 10, verse 17 through 22, says, And he, Jesus, was setting out on his journey. And a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus looked at him, loved him, and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. 20, uh, verse 22, Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful. For he had great possessions. 
you may not have ever realized this before, but um, you can actually easily take the Ten Commandments and break them into two categories. Um, some are vertical commandments that involve us and God. Others are horizontal that, that involve others. Or rather, vertical expressions of love and horizontal expressions of love. You see, Jesus talking with this man quickly helps him check off all the horizontal ones. But then Jesus commands him to sell all that he has and give to the poor. And you will have great treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. Jesus simply just kind of rewords the first commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. He takes him to the first of the vertical commands of God. Loving God. And what does this man do? He walks away sad. There is an inseparability to this very Christian love that we are capable of. You see, a father, a provider, may love his children. He may put food on the table. He may read them a story, kiss them goodnight, but without loving God and loving his children with the gospel. This loving father is at best leading his children to hell. See, the people of Israel were not this little sect isolated from the rest of the world, looking down from their ivory tower, thinking they were better than everyone around. Jesus is challenging these religious elites who were supposed to be the best in the world at knowing what it meant to love God and meant to love others. They were chosen to show all of the world that they loved God so much that they loved looking like him, like a father who sees his son, or it's like a son who sees his father and thinks of him perfectly in his eyes and wants to copy what he does. They proved what it was like to enjoy being loved by God and loving him for all the rest of the world to see. The scribe that we've been talking about after Jesus lays down these two very pointed commands. In verse 32, he says, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. If we stop reading right there, this scribe got it. High fives all around. At least someone gets it. Even he gets it. All Even gets the idea that all the temple sacrifices pale in comparison. That, that takes a, a huge jump to even understand things like that. This guy is in full agreement with Jesus. Let's just close up shop. Add one to the kingdom of God. Mark even records that Jesus says he answered wisely. But then Jesus says something very hard, something this passage begs the question. You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared ask him any more questions. You see, we all may approach a text like this and believe that we've got it. Love God, love others. Do you have anything new? Friends, you're either part of the kingdom of God or you're not. 
if you're late for work and you call your boss and tell him that you're not far from work, you're still not at work. Too many laughing. <laughs> but, but you might say, wait a minute, this guy and Jesus, they're on the same page. They agreed to the most important commands. These other guys are actually being mean to Jesus. You see, while next to Jesus, seemingly on the same wavelength as Jesus, there was something that he was missing. Like the rich young ruler. There was something, or rather someone, that these commands were about. You see, without Jesus, like Moses at the end of Exodus when he tries to walk into a freshly built tabernacle, he cannot enter. Without Jesus, we cannot enter the kingdom and the presence of God. Our final truth today is that God designed you to receive his son. You see, the commands of God were not designed to be upheld by us on our own. Righteousness was counted to Abraham, for example, because he and those after him had faith that God would be the one to do it all. He would keep his promises. Moses and the rest knew that, that one was going to have to come and fulfill all of the law. David knew that there was going to have to be a king that would not sin, that would not fail, that would not die. You can memorize every command in the Bible and miss entirely that those commands are not about your ability to keep them. They are about your inability to keep them. They are about the character that you do not have. But the character that God does have and by His grace has decided to share with you. If we're being honest with ourselves, there has actually only been one person ever existed to love God with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength, and one who has loved his neighbor as himself. 1 John chapter 5 tells of this love in verses 1 through 5. It says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has, has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? You see, while the scribe and the rich young ruler may not have had as hard of heart as their colleague, they lacked a, a rebirth into a new kingdom. Church, we are to love Jesus. We were designed to be reborn and filled by this holy Trinitarian love. God the Father being loved by our Creator. 
God the Son being loved by our Redeemer, and God the Spirit being loved by our companion. You see, these men, the scribe, should have known the answer to all of their disputes rests in the very one they were disputing with. Jesus is the God who invented love. We were designed to need him. We were designed to receive him. We're going to probably break these two commandments today. Um, Maybe even before we walk out of this building. That's why you were designed to need Jesus. John 14, 21, Jesus says, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. If we keep the commandments of God, not in order to be loved by him, keep the commandments of God because you are loved by him. Live your life in a very Christian way, showing your love for Jesus. That you love him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all of your strength. And love others with the gospel. Let's make, make no mistake. Let no one make any mistake as to who your God is. When there are mistakes, repent and trust in Jesus. Brothers and sisters, our three truths for today were you were designed to be loved by God. You were designed to love others, and you were designed to receive His Son. Our takeaways today mirror those. I have one that I want to add, though. Um, Number one is talk about Jesus in a very hostile situation. This scribe is intrigued by Jesus. You see, I know many of us work in environments that are hostile to Jesus. Don't be afraid to talk about him. This scribe is intrigued. Tell stories about him. Tell this story about him. It may cost you your job. This conversation and other conversations like it cost Jesus his life. Don't make the decision for yourself whether or not people will be interested in Jesus or reject him. Let Jesus do the talking. John 6, says, No one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him in. Let God decide who he draws in. Second takeaway. Do what only you were designed to do. Love God. Live in his word. Search his commands to find better ways to be distinct. Not better than those around you so you can look down on them. Find ways to humbly be obedient as to show your love for God's commands. Ask the Holy Spirit to simply help you love God better. Plant flowers for him. In other words, be affectionate for him. Love him because he owns your soul. He's never going to let it go. You can't sin your way out of it. Love him by learning more about him. Study him in a quiet time among your church. Be strong in your love for him. 
Be intentional and disciplined in your love for Him. Allow the Holy Spirit to help you strive again to love Him. Remember that same takeaway, love others. Love non-Christians. You can love like no one else has been chosen to do so. Have you ever really taken the time to realize we believe in the sovereignty of God and we believe in the sovereignty of His creation. Have you ever taken the time to realize that you have been planned to exist at this exact moment in history because someone needed your love in their lifetime? Do loving acts of kindness, yes, but as sly as a serpent who's able to get into tight spaces, work your gospel love into someone's life as as innocent as a, and as bright white as a dove, make it clear that you are different. You love like only Jesus has gifted you to love. Tell others about Him. Love Christians. Even Christians forget to nourish themselves with the gospel. Be close with people. One of my deepest convictions is covenant discipleship within a church. Where people know one another so intimately, those people give each other the silver bullet of the gospel that they need in their lives. Meaning that, that, that there are people that not only know I need the gospel, they also know how I need it. They know when I need to be loved with the gospel. They know how I'm most likely to fail. And they're there to catch me before I do. Number three, have faith in Jesus. Jesus is the only one, make no mistake, that is capable of loving God and loving others the way he designed to the perfection that we are talking about, but he does so for you. Trust that he alone took the punishment for your failures. He has just simply given you his ability to love. As Jesus says, repent and believe in the kingdom of God. Jesus is at hand. Trust in him. Lastly, and this one kind of may seem out of place, but probably could not be more fitting. Be a church member. already a church member be an active one you might not really ever thought about this but the local church is the one institution on the planet entrusted with the gospel we are the planned institution commanded to uphold the first and second most important commands of God all centered around the gospel we together strive to love our God and love one another with the gospel holding us together. The local church, friends, is a people vertically covenanted to God and horizontally covenanted one to another. This passage is about us. You see, being a member of a church is the culmination of God's broken design for our, excuse me, for God's design being broken in the Garden of Eden and that it can ex exist again. The 
the church, the people, are the Garden of Eden, are the temple of God, are the Holy of Holies, are the Ark of the Covenant. Together we hold the commands of God. Together we love God. Together we love our neighbors. Together we are God's design reimagined. Together as a church, St. Rose Communion Church, we were a glimmer in the eyes of Jesus during this very conversation. In fact, we were a plan for Jesus to fulfill his commands to his followers. Familiar commands this morning, brothers and sisters, but familiar commands with grand implications. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for your commands. Father, I thank you for revealing to me that I can't keep them, but that you gave me one who would. But somehow, mysteriously, in the midst of all of that, you help me, you help us as a church. Father, show people that we can be vertically united with God and horizontally united one with another. We can be a church. Father, help us love very distinctly. Help it be clear who our God is and why we love others. We love you and ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.